If you went on a road trip and you didn't stop for a Big Mac or drop a crispy fry between the car seats or use your McDonald's bag as a placemat, then that wasn't a road trip. It was just a really long drive. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. At participating McDonald's. At State Farm, we're committed to uplifting black futures. In collaboration with organizations like 100 Black Men and National Urban League, State Farm provides high school students with the opportunity to learn and apply best practice strategies for saving and investing, all while offering academic support, life skills, and exposure to college access programs to prepare these students for life after high school. Check out 100blackmen.org and nul.org to donate and learn more. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. At State Farm, we're committed to uplifting black futures. In collaboration with organizations like 100 Black Men and National Urban League, State Farm provides high school students with the opportunity to learn and apply best practice strategies for saving and investing, all while offering academic support, life skills, and exposure to college access programs to prepare these students for life after high school. Check out 100blackmen.org and nul.org to donate and learn more. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. It was night. She was crying. She wouldn't stop crying. I put her in the car seat and and I started to drive thinking, I'm just going to drop her off somewhere. I'm just going to leave her. And in that moment, I remember just, I mean, crying and just begging God to please help me, to please take these thoughts away from me. And I just just kept driving, thinking, where could I leave her in the middle? And I was living in a rural area. Where could I just leave her to just, you know, to not deal with this, to deal with this 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 pain that I'm also feeling? And, and just, you know, even questioning, like, my ability to live. Right. It just was something that I knew in this, like, there is something wrong. Like, there is something wrong that's going on. I didn't feel like that this was normal, that this couldn't be something that that is a normal feeling to have, to want to do these things. Uh, and I knew that something had, had to give, like something had to like give. Something had, like something had to give. Welcome to Wow Black, a seriously opinionated podcast, bringing you the real and raw on anything happening while Black. If Black culture's there, we're there. If you're pissed or empowered, then let's talk about it. Ride with us on this all-Black everything. Everybody, welcome back to Wild Black. Art's not here, otherwise he'd say, welcome back, welcome back. He is traveling as we record on this beautiful day. And that's okay. Because today we've got, I know I say it all the time, but some of these episodes are just so needed. And before I get... How can I say this? I really want to make sure that you're listening to me today. We're going, we're going back to a really important topic. We've talked about this sort of before. Today, it's about mental health and wellness. But, but this time, we are going specifically down a path that is often overlooked. Related to maternal health. But we just don't talk about it a lot. And it affects holistically quite a bit of people. Today, we're going in-depth on postpartum depression. It's cousin, the, the baby blues, as some people like to call it. 
And we'll talk about the rare and dangerous postpartum psychosis as well. Today is really about, let me think, how do I want to say this? What is today about? Spreading credible information, reducing stigma, hell, saving lives. This is about saving lives because there are people who don't survive what we'll talk about today. So please don't take this episode lightly because you are susceptible, or at least someone you love is. And when it happens to you, will you know the signs? Will you recognize what's happening? Or will you be caught flat-footed and lose the valuable time that you had to prepare and to start some kind of treatment? I want to hit you with a few names. These are from roughly the last 20 years. And it's just a couple, some of the more popular names that we've seen in our news that relate to this episode. Maybe you remember one, maybe you remember all. Feel free to look them up. Andrea Yates, a Houston mother who was suffering from both postpartum depression and psychosis, who ultimately took the life by drowning her five children. I think this happened summer 2001. Deja Watkins, if I'm saying her name right, In 2015, she also suffered from both psychosis and depression. And this one's hard. Ultimately, she stabbed and decapitated her three-month-old child. And then Lisa, I can't remember Lisa's last name. I can't remember her last name. In 2016, she suffered from postpartum psychosis, but she didn't just simply try to kill her children. She poisoned them, drowned them, and then locked them in a room full of carbon monoxide and then attempted to take her own life, but she was saved. Now, I know that sounds absolutely horrible, horrific. And and even though each of these women did do a horrible act, they were managing through some intense feelings, some intense situations, postpartum depression, postpartum psychosis, or both. In most cases, each of these women experienced feelings of worthlessness, anger, they battled severe sleeplessness. Things got as tough as suicidal thoughts and hearing voices and commands, even like hyper-religiosity, having severe delusions, all pushing them to behave in a manner just so inconsistent with their normal everyday life behavior. I want you to take a second, and I'm really coming off the top of my head, and you can probably tell here. I want you to take a (laughs) second and just imagine a world where your deepest, darkest, most vicious fears feel absolutely true. Imagine what it feels like when the thing that you feel most feels inevitable and in your face. And this is not holistic for all of them, but this is what some women feel when they're battling through these illnesses. And as controversial as this is, and I want to be really, really clear on my position, as awful as these actions are, these women are also victims who needed help and needed support And in my perspective, because this is an illness and not a choice that any of them made, it wrecked havoc on their lives, their family, their future. Again, every every instance isn't this extreme, but every instance of the baby blues, the postpartum depression, the postpartum psychosis should be taken so, so seriously because this is real life. Now, I know I've been talking a lot. I'm sorry, but you know how I am when it comes to things related to our mental health and our wellness. I take these things seriously because black America needs to take these things more seriously. But I'm not the star today. Our guest today is here, and she has a hell of a story and has taken so much action towards supporting these instances. 
Her name is Sasha Nicole. Sasha is the creator of The Fearless Influence, a brand dedicated to encouraging mental wellness, confidence, and happiness in others. She's also the founder of Partum Evolution, a 501c3 dedicated to women of color experiencing postpartum depression. She's a mental health advocate, an author, a speaker, an educator who is dedicated to teaching others the power of resilience and how to navigate fear and overcome obstacles. Lastly, she's a survivor. Severe postpartum depression crept into her world, and she has learned to thrive through her mental health condition. That was a lot for me. More than you normally get, but I just really care about this topic. So I'm going to be quiet. I'm going to let Sasha come on and tell you just a little bit more about herself before we get into this wild black shit. Sasha, welcome to Wild Black. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. And and thank you for the hell of an introduction. I appreciate it. (laughs) (laughs) This is real shit. These are real topics. And a lot of people have no idea. They see a story, they pass judgment, and they keep on moving fully, not realizing that this could be them, their sister, family member. They could be a man supporting a woman struggling through this. This affects everyone in a significant, significant way. And the taboo makes us suffer in silence far too often. So I introduced you. Tell us anything else that I missed. Tell me a little bit about you. Don't go too deep because we're going to get into your story. But tell me a little (laughs) bit more about you. So, you know, I like to tell people I'm somewhat of an accountability coach. So for those who are looking to really thrive, as you mentioned, and to heal, like my mission is really to help people grow and heal, to really take a look at their trauma and not normalize the way that we've been accustomed to right. to our pain. And, and so that's something that I take very seriously and I really try to help a lot of people through. Uh, and, and as you mentioned, just through advocacy, even through helping with legislation, like these are all things that I try to do and then consistently trying to release motivation and, and uplifting content. Uh, and so that is is just, you know, a little bit more about some of the things that that I do in terms of just helping others and, and who I am, you know, as, as a person and what yeah. I'm working on. Yeah, yeah. Well, well, Wild Black, we are going to get into a bunch of stuff in this episode. I'm going to assume that some of it will be heavy, but not all of it will be. This is about understanding, appreciating where you are. It is about recognizing the situation you find yourself in. And she's also going to talk about how to get help, how she can help, and other resources. But before we get to that, we got to get to this wild black shit. Are you ready, Sasha? I'm ready. All right. (sighs) Question number one. Who needs an alarm in the morning when McDonald's has sausage, egg, and cheese McGriddles and a breakfast cutoff? Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. <laughs> I laugh when I, when I read my own questions sometimes. Black folks know they believe in some personal safety. All you have to do is start running in a group of black folks. And what happens? Everybody takes off running. We already know it. All of us run. They asses are gone. So speaking of personal safety, which of the following actions will cause a black person, i.e. you, to react in fear the fastest. I got four things. You ready? I'm ready. Someone runs by and yells that they just saw a Rottweiler break off the chain and it's headed this way. Two, the urgent sound of a bunch of bees coming at you. Three, a pop-up thunderstorm as you walk from your salon to your car. And four, some fool in the mirror very near you in the public restroom 
saying Candyman, and he's on the fourth time. Which one is going to evoke the most fear in you? Oh, man. You, <laughs> that third. <laughs> you know, I, I got to admit, that third, I have been in a scenario where that third one, where I just got my hair done, and a thunderstorm was oh. coming, and I, it, 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 especially, and I have natural hair, so you know, if I had something that's been done where it's straightened or anything like that, like oh, it's a, it's a big fear for that thing to start looking like the honeycomb commercial. I'd say that's <laughs> Not the my honeycomb first. commercial. It would be. I'd look crazy. That's gonna be the first thing that gives me that fear. And I mean, I, I'm just instantaneously, I'm gonna. That's the first thing I'm gonna think of. And I'd have to say, if I had to choose a second one. It'd probably be the bees over the dog. Look, I, I just think it's hilarious and how much I love, I love black women. But you chose your hair over Candyman? Candyman don't. I can, over Candyman, a Rockweiler? Oh, my not goodness. Rock, I'm kicking a Rockweiler straight in the mouth. Candyman <laughs> not doing nothing to me. I don't even, like, so we're good on that. But the but the hair and the bees, like, I, <laughs> I'm conscious of the fact that since I've been sitting here, I've said Candyman now three times. I won't say it a fourth. <laughs> ain't even no mirror in sight. I damn sure ain't going to say it a fifth. So that, that's me, Candyman all day. All right, are you ready? Question two? I'm, re- I'm ready. This one's funny to me, too. This, this one's so funny because it's real. So black folks love some good food. And I'm talking about let us get a taste of something good and we are lip smacking, we are dancing in our seats. Now... <laughs> I went to a Mexican restaurant. This has been probably, I don't know, three or four years ago. And I read a review, one review, and it's what made me go to this restaurant. So I'm going to read you what the review says. And I'm going to ask you, what food would you insert to make this review true for you? So here it is. The burritos from Taco Linda Vista are so good that if me and my baby were in the car, and the car burst into flames, leaving only moments to escape. I grab the burrito first and then come back and try to get my baby. So my question to you is what food is so good that you're going to have to grab it first and take the chances on getting the baby second? The first thing that comes to my mind, curry chicken. I, I mean... You're going to abandon the baby? <laughs> like, good, like good curry, like that thick curry. Like, uh, yeah, not the, you know, the watery curry, but like, it's something about curries for me that if it's like really good and flavorful, uh, yeah, I'm abandoning the baby. You know, you know, put put your children on the phone. Let me, let me holler at your children right quick. (laughs) They they need to understand to keep curry out of the car. The good curry. Yeah. Yeah, the good curry. All right, we're going to move to question three. What do you love most about life while black? What I love most about life while black is just, it, it, it's like, I feel like being Black gives you like a natural superpower. Mm. Like, I just feel like you have a level of, of resilience and capability. Like, and I hate, because I don't want to sound like I'm trying to say that I, that it, that somebody who's not Black is inferior to me. But I do feel like part of being Black, like, makes you, it makes you super. Like, it makes you powerful. And I feel like we don't tap into that power enough. Like, we're so afraid of that power. But I really feel like, like, it's not a lot of moments. And I remember, like, being at a job, right, and being around a lot of Ivy League people and all of them being white and and me going to an HBCU. And there were none of them that I felt like were better than me. Yeah. Like, I really felt like I was superior. And let me confirm, they they were not. You, You were the shit in that room. 
That's how I, that's how I look at us. Yeah. Like, it, it is just like a level of, of star power that I feel being Black. Yeah. Like, that I'm just capable beyond anything. Black folks are superheroes. I like that. I like that. All right. So, I'm going to move into the dope quote. This is something from religion, science, math, entertainment, all over the place. Typically from the mouth of someone Black. Honestly, I don't know if this person is Black or not. I didn't look her up because I thought it was so fitting. Um, But it definitely has relevance on the episode. So I'm going to read this quote. It's by a woman named Edda Vore. She doesn't sound like a sister, but the quote was spot on. So forgive me, Lifness, if she is a sister, I'm sorry. But this quote is from her, and it's, it's really about the way society looks at mothering. And it leads so nicely into our topic for today. So I'm going to read this quote. And then I want to get your opinion on it. You ready? Ready. It was a slow and painful realization that there was something wrong and the ease with, the ease with which everyone else ignored it made it all the more squiggly to pin down. After all, a functional mother is one who can change a diaper and remember bedtimes. If she's not fallen to pieces, she's fine. When you hear that quote, what does this stir up for you? I mean, it stirs up like literally the fact of just being the, all of the things that come with being a mother, just simply being ignored and being placed on you. Like, that's just what you're supposed to do. That's just what you have to do. Like, that's the the first thing that I feel is just like, like how she said, so easily ignored, so easily dismissed. Whereas like, well, you know, and and this has been said to me where, you know, well, you're her mom. That's what you're supposed to Mm -hmm. do. And that's, you know... It, it, it's always dismissed, quite frankly. Yeah, yeah. The part that got me, and, and fully recognizing that I'm not a mom, never have been a mom, never will be a mom. But when she says, if she's not falling to pieces, mm-hmm. she's fine. When you really yeah. stop and think about that, what I take from that is that society looks at a woman who becomes a mother and says, nothing else about you is important anymore outside of the care you give for those children. If your arm ain't falling off, then you need to be using it. If, if your chest isn't heaving, then you need to be using it to take care of those children. It was, it was such a stark line. Again, I'm not a mother. I'm a father of two. And, and, and I've had a, my same wife for 20-something years. And it, it, makes me, it makes me almost think about all the moments that I've laughed when someone's come to visit us and especially when our children were young and they came to the door and we let them in and they bypassed us like we were invisible, right? And they went straight to the baby. And it's funny at the time, right? It's cool to make the joke, oh, you don't even see me anymore. But the reality behind that is they don't see us the way we were anymore. They now see us as not humans, but parents. And, and even more so for the women, you are no longer a woman. You're a mom. And as a mom, you have got to be able to withstand everything that comes your way. And you've got to be able to get up and feed these children and change these diapers and take care of your world and your husband. And it creates an unrealistic expectation that too many women, I think, are burdening alone. And yeah. I'm sure we're getting that. If you got something, I thought, I thought you wanted to add something, feel free. 
Now, I just wanted to say, and I think that's where a lot of uh, moms in general are are feeling themselves because they now only consider themselves mm. a mom before they even consider themselves a person, yeah. a woman. It's yeah. you know, if you if you've ever talked to someone and, and you say, "Well, tell me about yourself," and the first thing they say, "Well, I'm a mom," yeah. you know, and and it's just everything they do is lead is led by motherhood yeah. and, and nothing else. Yeah, yeah. So funny because it's like so funny. It's not even the right word. I don't I don't know why I said that because it's not funny, but. It's just one of the many things that society tells us we are supposed to do, and we do without question. The thing is, it's time to question because it's hurting us. It's killing us. Mm-hmm. It's, it's putting us in the position to not be there to adequately raise our children, which then takes us to another mental state because we expect that our only real duty is to raise our children when we are humans first and people first. And we are parents, and that is an important aspect of the world that we exist in. But I think it is important to remember it is only an aspect. It is not its entirety. Agreed. All right. So let's go ahead and move into this this core interview. I want to, we're going to get into your story because I think that's incredibly important. But I want to start with helping people understand, really, what the hell are we talking about here? So Mm -hmm. you've got the baby blues. You've got postpartum depression, and you have postpartum psychosis. Can you take a moment and explain for our listeners what they are? Absolutely. So when you talk about the the baby blues, uh, basically it impacts about 50, 70 percent of new mothers. Uh, And so what they'll experience is is basically about one to four days after giving birth, you may just feel, you know, down. You may feel a little sad. You may feel a little emotional. You may cry a little bit like that. But it typically goes away within two weeks uh, of of the onset of the baby blues. So it's it's usually like a two week thing where you may not be feeling yourself but it's very mild. Mm -hmm. And so then when you talk about the postpartum, the depression, you're actually getting into a lot of times where this is a a deeper, you you go from the two weeks to now you're actually on the onset of, you know, you're feeling, um, you feel the sense of guilt, you feel shame, you feel um, completely, uh, you might start to feel agitated. You're having emotional spells where you might be crying uh, unusually and, and not sure why you might actually be crying. Uh, you might not be able to sleep. Your appetite changes. You feel f- confused or fatigued. Uh, and so this can last anywhere from a few months to a few years. And then wow, when you get years. down to the psychosis standpoint, this is where you come from from you go from postpartum depression to now this is much more severe. You're going into a psychosis state. This is where you start to have uh, a lot of thoughts of maybe potential suicide. You might have hallucinations. Um, You might not sleep for several nights. Your behavior starts to become very unusual. You start to become delusional. Um, You might have manic depressive episodes. And so this is your your most severe symptom of postpartum depression. It's it's not um, as common but it definitely happens. Yeah. And so, you know, once you get to this state, this is usually, there, there are a few different treatments um, that might, can, can help with postpartum depression. And, and we'll probably talk about that later in terms of medication, in terms of ECT and other forms of therapy. Right. Psychosis, usually you have to have immediate help. 911 may need to be called. There may need to be, uh, you may need to be committed from a mental standpoint. Mm. Um, you're definitely at a stage where there's some sort of medication that's going to be needed. Um, this is not, you know, psychosis is not a stage that you can get through on your own. Mm. Is this the kind of thing black folks need to be concerned about? Should we be worried about it? Should we be informed? 
it's there. It's something that Black people definitely need to be informed about because it happens more often than what you think. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's even other things such as postpartum anxiety. Mm-hmm. There's postpartum OCD. Um, there's panic disorder that comes with it, and even PTSD, depending on what happens during during your delivery. Um, so it, it's very important that Black people understand, you know, that it is something that you should be aware of, and it even impacts fathers. So if a father is dealing with a woman who's experiencing postpartum depression, he's 50% more likely to experience major depressive disorder himself. Mm. Uh, And and the thing about why Black people should care is because Black women have a higher risk. So one, you know, they're three times more likely to have maternal death than white women. And so that's been, you know, proven that, you know, when we are giving birth, for some reason, we are dying at alarmingly higher rates than white women. You know, especially if you're in a low income, low education, food insecurity environment, mm-hmm. your quality of care already is not going to be the best. Also, you know, from an access to maternal care. And so when Black women are experiencing postpartum depression, they are less likely to even talk about it, let alone to even receive treatment, even if they need medication. So it's very important that we're understanding that when a woman, especially a Black woman, is saying, I'm having these feelings, I'm having these symptoms, it's it's more than 50% of Black women who don't report that mm. they're having you know, these issues. Uh, And so what we know is that historically, culturally, we're less likely to seek or participate in any type of mental health treatment or assessment. And instead, what do we usually do? We might turn to the church, uh, we or we just live with it, right? We just we just feel like we're we're the strong black woman. That's what we're supposed to do. Um, but we also we deal with more of uh, of the stress. So in turn, we carry that and feel like you know it's something that is not worth sharing, yeah. uh, and that you can just you know get through it. Uh, but there is. Um, there's, it's very important for us to to be mindful that we need to start talking about this more within our community, and yeah. we need to care about it more uh, yeah. in our community as well. Yeah, I got a bunch of questions from from everything you just threw out, um, but I'm not going to go there yet. I think it's important. If you went on a road trip and you didn't stop for a Big Mac or drop a crispy fry between the car seats or use your McDonald's bag as a placemat, then that wasn't a road trip. It was just a really long drive. At participating McDonald's. For people to have something to kind of grab onto. So mm-hmm. I'd love it if you could dive into your story, right? And 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 share with 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 detail, you know, what you went through and, and how it manifested and how you and your, your partner at the time had to man- like tell your story and and allow our listeners to get a glimpse into what this world can be like. Yeah, so I, um, when I got pregnant, one, you know, another thing that is um, something to be aware of is a lot of times Black women don't know that they're pregnant until much later in comparison to white women. Mm. Uh, And so when I found out that, and this is usually from other medical issues, and so when I found out I was pregnant, I was about three months um, because I already had PCOS, polycystic ovarian syndrome, which is where your period is not coming at a regular basis, right. regular time. Um, so when I found out there was, it was pretty much like at this point, you know, um, I thought about like, am I ready? Am I prepared? Am I competent? 
move forward with the pregnancy. I had this whole vision of what I felt like a birthing experience should be. A lot of times what we do is we also guilt moms into believing that if they don't have a vaginal birth, then Mm. it's not necessarily a real birth. Um, That if you use pain medicine, that you're not as strong. I mean, these are things that, you know, that you will see really being pushed out there. And so in my mind, I had this vision that I'm going to have a vaginal birth. Why this matters is because oftentimes when women do not have a vaginal birth and they expect it to have one, they are more susceptible to have depression after the birthing experience because they begin to start to internalize, you know, what their view was in, in terms of motherhood. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. I ended up having an emergency. I ended up having an emergency C-section. Her heart rate was declining. When she came out and they put her on my chest, you know, they they tell you that in the storybooks and in the movies that you're just gonna feel this instantaneous connection. That did not happen, Mm. that you're just gonna feel this love that you've never felt before. When she laid on my chest, I literally was one in awe that we can even produce little humans, right. these these humans. And I still sometimes in awe, like looking at my daughter, like, wow, like she's a whole person. <laughs> I made that. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I didn't feel the love. I didn't feel anything but obligation. Mm. I felt like I brought this baby in the world. I'm her mom. This is what I'm supposed to do. And I just kept thinking and hoping that maybe that feeling just happens later. Maybe I'm just tired. And, you know, once this epidural wears off, I'll start to have the feels. And the feels never came. Uh, And so when I went home with her, I still just didn't feel connected, just didn't feel this sense of energy or passion or anything like that. It it wasn't connecting for me. And I wanted it to. Mm. I wanted it to desperately. I wanted to have that feeling that they describe. I wanted to be that mom that says, my whole life changed when I had you. And no, like none of those feelings came for me. Um, Instead, I found myself just starting to experience uncontrollable bouts of emotion. I'm crying and don't know why I'm crying. Um, I'm feeling completely depressed. When she would, she was a very, um, she's a very affectionate child even to this day. And so even as a baby, she'd be very touchy-feely. And I would I would literally cringe at her touching me. Mm. I didn't want her touching me. Um, I didn't, you know, I couldn't even stand to hear the sounds of her crying. Uh, and so as time went on, I, I was afraid to say anything because I'm thinking, like, people going to think I'm crazy. Or, right. you know, and when I finally did say something, uh, I actually said something to one of my family members. And their response was, you know, you're not the only person in the world who's a mom. You need to get over it. Mm. and do what you need to do. And so at this point, again, I'm, I'm pull yourself up by the bootstraps. I'm thinking, well, I, I just I just need to find a way to get through it. Uh, I, don't, I don't tell the doctor any of these things because at this stage, now I'm starting to feel like I want to harm her. I'm mm. walking down, the, I'm walking past the steps and I'm thinking about throwing her down the steps. And, I'm and how, the how long had it been from her birth to now? So at this point, you're talking about I may be at like the six month, maybe five to six month range where now I'm starting to have thoughts of of just thinking if, you know, I'm giving her a bath, if she just drowned, if I can, I throw her against the wall and she would, I wish that I could just Mm. drown her cries out if I just, you know, got rid of her. If I dropped her off at the fire station and just never looked back. And, And these are the type of thoughts that I'm having. Now, mind you, I'm aware enough to understand that I don't wanna have these thoughts. This isn't, so when you mentioned in the beginning, this isn't something that like I wanted to have. This isn't something where I felt like, oh, because I'm a mom, I don't want to be responsible. No, these are thoughts that I'm I'm literally having a hard time controlling and that I'm feeling and that I don't know what to do with and I don't know how to get rid of. Uh, and, and so it just, it continued. Eventually, 
probably eight, nine months at this time, I go to the doctor and I tell my doctor that, you know, I'm just, I'm, I just tell her I'm feeling depressed. Mm-hmm. I don't tell her the thoughts that I'm having because the first thing I'm thinking, they're going to call social services. Everybody's going to think I'm a horrible person. So you're operating in fear at this point. I'm a complete fear because I, I and I'm afraid of like, what are, what are people going to think of me if I tell them that I'm having thoughts about harming my child? And, and even, and eventually I, I told one of my best friends and her thought was like, you know, girl, you tripping. Like it was just, Mm-hmm. You know, there there was no sense of you know what we need to get you some help or it, it just it what that was not the first response. Um, and so when I told my doctor, I said I'm, I'm just feeling down. I told her I'm feeling depressed. Didn't go into deep detail of the thoughts that I'm having. And her first response was just to give me Zoloft. Um, why it's important? Because once again, black community at this time, medication. I'm not taking no medication. Mm-hmm. Like I'm not. I'm completely opposed to the idea of what I'm thinking. This is going to alter my brain, and I'm not. And and I've always been taught that like like you don't you don't need medicine. Mm-hmm. Like you you just need you know to help yourself. And I was not open to that idea to take any type of medication at that time. And I, and I didn't have any type of resources or groups around me or anything, anyone that looked like me. Mm-hmm. I had never heard of a black woman or seen a black woman on TV or anything, read in a magazine saying that they had thoughts of harming their child or that they had postpartum depression. I didn't even know yeah. what postpartum depression was. You know, not to mention that it feels like the doctor should have been more inquisitive, right? Should have asked more questions and probed more as to what was going on. Absolutely. And instead of, and usually the first step is not medication, it's therapy. Right. So, you know, that wasn't even an option. And so it it just, it goes to show a lot of times, you know, and this recently happened, I'm in the doctor's office and I had these questions and she said, well, we only have 15 minutes. Mm. So a lot of times when we're talking about healthcare and a doctor only has 10 minutes mm. or the max 15 minutes, they're not probing or let alone maybe care enough to really look into what is existing on top of, for me at the time, I feel like, you know, at, at this point in time, her father and I were starting not to work out. I'm already, I'm not married. So, you know, it matters when you go into certain doctor's offices and they look at you like a statistic. Mm. These are things that that happen in our community. Not everybody is married. And there are there is moments where you're not treated the same when they when they don't feel like you're of, of a certain equity or certain class. So, you know, I think there were a lot of variables that played into um, not being as concerned or probing, as you mentioned. And and this was it. It just uh it was something that went on. I, I dealt with this for almost two years before I started mm. to actually have a connection with my daughter. Oh. Yeah. Wow. Oh. So f- for you, a- across that, that two-year spectrum of birthing your daughter, not feeling connected, living inside of that lack of connection for two years and, and growing to the point where you were having thoughts of, of, of harming your, your child, what was the worst of it for you? Like what what was the what was the thing that happened that said help is is required? I've got to get more than I've than I've been getting. What what happened that drove you there? I um I I it was it was night. She was crying. She wouldn't stop crying. And I put her and 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 come to find out later, she actually had some some health issues that were happening. And um I put her in the car seat. And I, and I, and I started to drive thinking, 
you know, I'm, I'm just, I'm just going to drop her off somewhere. I'm just mm. going to leave her. And in that moment, I remember just, cry, I mean, crying and just begging God to please help me, to please take these thoughts away from me. And I just, just kept driving, thinking, where could I leave her in the middle? And I was living in a rural area. Where could I just leave her? to just, you know, to not deal with this, to deal with this, this, this pain that I'm also feeling and, and just, you know, even questioning like my ability to live. Right. It just was something that I knew in this, like there is something wrong. Like there is something wrong that's going on. I didn't feel like I, I, that this was normal, that, there, that this couldn't be something that, that is a normal feeling to have, to want to do these things uh, and I knew that something had had to give, like mm. something had to give. So one of the things that I'm, I'm noticing in, in your situation that that is awesome is the entire time for you, you would have these thoughts, but at the same time, you had enough wherewithal to recognize these are unhealthy thoughts, mm-hmm. right? And and I know that there are there are several women, especially once they get into the postpartum psychosis phase. Who that that doesn't happen. Right. That ability to recognize, oh, that's not right. That's not how I think. That's that's not going to, to suffice goes away. And and now they're stuck in a world where perception and reality have become so blurred they can't tell the difference. And the thought they have is the thought that they have. And mm-hmm. and that that is like I've seen it. And I, I've had very I've had very close people manage through that type of situation. And it's tough, right? So, one, I'm so grateful that you maintain that ability to recognize these thoughts are unhealthy. But when you had that moment in the car and and you broke down and you decided enough is enough, I need help, what did you do? Like, how did you go get the help? Who did you tell? What door did you knock on? You know, what appointment did you make? How did you go get that help? I finally had told one of um, one of my friends, one of my girlfriends, whose mom uh, happened. I, I think she was still a nurse. She was a nurse at that time, who happened to be a nurse. Mm-hmm. And and I said, you know, I'm having thoughts of harming. Uh, I'm having thoughts of harming Z. That's what I call my daughter, Z. Mm-hmm. I'm having thoughts of harming Z, and I don't know what to do. Um, and she ended up. She, thank God, she ended up telling her mom. And her mom flew out to to me, to my house, and she stayed there for about two weeks. And she just, um, she just said, you know, she took the baby and she just helped me. Like she literally, she had the baby and she just took care of her. Mm. Just the ability to have someone in your life who could, one, recognize that and then step in and, and stand in the gap. How important is support? when you're going through this? Because you mentioned that you and your partner weren't necessarily working out in that moment. So you were managing through much of this on your own, I'm assuming, right? What? Very much by myself. And he also traveled a lot. So a lot of what I was dealing with, he wasn't even in the house mm. because he's on, he, you know, he was on the road working. Uh, so the, so when I'm, you know, having this, this new birthing experience in terms of trying to recover from the C-section and other things, I'm literally doing this by myself. And, mm. and you know, it, and this wasn't an instance where it's like he he just, you know, didn't want to help or wasn't doing anything. He just, he had to work. Right, and, right. and that's one of those things that, you know, again, in our community, we put, we also put work above everything too. Um, and so, because we got to, we got to live, right? And so for me being by myself, 
it, 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 I, I definitely believe and know that it made it worse. And I think when when people say like, well, what could I do in terms of a preparation? Like understand that it is a community that you really need, that you really need to have a plan. You really need to think about who are your closest friends, who are the family members you can talk to? What would it look like? And, and what type of mom groups are around you? Are there any support groups? Like this is something that that in preparation before having that child that you should think about, that you should write down, that you should know, numbers you should have, organize. I mean, all of these things to, to be mindful of that we don't necessarily think about. Right. We think about like, well, what happens if, you know, how to swaddle the baby, how to breathe. But we don't think about, you know, what happens after the baby comes home. Mm. And if I'm not feeling baby, what do I do? Um, Because this is very possible. And again, one in seven women experience postpartum depression. That's a big number. That's a big number. So, uh, and, and we don't. We don't prepare ourselves for the type of of community that we need to surround ourselves with. So yeah. community is extremely important. I, I I reach out to our listeners and I'd say this: if you hear the stat that one in seven women manage through postpartum depression, most of us as, as adults know at least seven women with children. Mm-hmm. If you know seven women with children, or fourteen women with children, or twenty one women with children, that means more than likely you know one, two, or three at least who have suffered through postpartum depression, do you know that about them? Did you see them struggling? Did you ignore some kind of signs? Did you miss an opportunity to support and help? Do you even know what support and help looks like? Because I think a spouse has such a significant, a spouse or a partner or even a close friend has such a significant impact on your ability to heal or hurt. You mentioned a family member who early on directed you in the wrong place with the advice that he or she gave and probably coming from a caring place of, you're a mom, you can do this, but we need to understand the way we impact those around us. I want to talk a little bit more about your situation, and then I want to move into the the help and the resources, but I want people to get a really, really good picture. Everybody loves McDonald's fries. So yes, you accused your mom of stealing some of your fries on the way home. Um, But the bag did feel a little light. Of what this can look like, what this can feel like, because I have a feeling there are lots of people who are operating with this right now who are either in denial or don't recognize or realize, don't want to believe, are too afraid to say, are worried about the risk, are concerned about the child being taken away, a, a husband or a partner leaving. There's so many different things that I can only assume a mother who is suffering who one of these forms of depression might be going through. I want to talk about this. You mentioned that when you gave birth, in those moments that the doctor put your daughter on your chest and you did not feel that immediate connection. I completely empathize. I can't understand because my experience was different, right? Mm-hmm. The first time I hold each of my children, the first time I held each of my children, I remember what that felt like to me. And to this day, and my children today are 13 and 16, Those are some of the strongest memories that I have of my children. Some of the most warm, the most connected, and the best, right? Now, flip side, I also have bad memories, right? Because the human experience is comprised of all of that. So for the woman that may be in your shoes or about to put your shoes on, tell me a little bit about, since your experience was non-traditional, 
from the standpoint of these amazing connections that you feel inter- that you feel immediately. What for you across those that first two years was the most positively powerful moment between you and your daughter, and what was the absolute worst or scariest outside of that moment in the car? The most powerful moment that really t- helped to transcend the experience that I was having um, with my daughter and that lack of connection. Uh, we <laughs> funny the, this whole car thing. Uh, we were driving, <laughs> and um, and there was a fatal accident. It was one of those accidents mm. that you know you just see kind of like the car torn inside out. I mean, it stopped pretty much the whole highway. And while when we finally had went past it, and I looked over, and I and you just knew like somebody lost their life in that accident. Yeah. And I thought about what it would really look like, and and actually seeing death mm. helped me to actually feel what it would feel like if I didn't have my daughter, mm. if she actually died. And and I said to myself, and I said, God, you know, if that's ever me take my life and let her live and have a good one. Mm. And in that moment, and it it sounds, it may sound crazy, but I'm in that moment of actually seeing, you know, what, what, what death could be like if that was us. That was the first time that I had ever experienced a level of sacrifice and love mm. for my daughter that I had not had prior. I had not felt that type of love before that. I have not, I had not felt or even, or even, stated something of that nature. And and that was the moment where I said, you know, the, 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 it's changing. It started to change. Where I started to feel like I would give my life for her. Uh-huh. I would sacrifice for her. I love her in a way that I want her to have, a, that I want for her, that I want better for her. And those were, that was a defining moment where I started to experience what that felt like as a mom. Mm. That's an amazing story. And, and, this almost feels bad to say, but it's so positive because there's such a big part of me who is so glad you went through the experience that you went through. One, because I, I, I believe and I assume that everything turned out okay and, and we're recovering and healing and the relationship is great. But because you were able to go through that experience and either come out or continue the journey of coming out on this side, you are now positioned to help people who may not have come out okay, right? And, and, and that's a powerful place to be. That, that is godly positioning. That is being ordained to experience something and then reach, teach, and bridge gaps for people to walk across troubled waters that they would have otherwise drowned in. And I'm so happy that you were able to survive that experience to create this perspective that is absolutely saving lives. Uh, let's, let's talk about this now. You, you went through what you went through and your, your daughter, your, your partner, and, and even into your, your husband now. What has recovery looked like? How has recovery processed? Are you healed? Can you heal, right? If I get a cut on my arm, there comes a day when that cut is healed. I can't even see it anymore. What, is, what does that look like? So I think that it, it's a... It's a to answer question, mm-hmm. for some women who have never necessarily experienced um, anxiety or depression prior, who have always typically mentally, you know, been well, who has um, has come from a good family background and maybe hasn't experienced any type of trauma, the the experience of recovery is going to look a lot different, mm-hmm. and there are going to be things that you may not necessarily have to work through. For me, in my situation. Um, Previously experiencing trauma before in my life in form of abuse, 
physically, um, and then also dealing with depression in general, not knowing that I had dealt with depression. It wasn't until later on after my daughter that I even was diagnosed with actual anxiety and depression. Mm -hmm. My recovery looked a lot different in terms of the things, the work that I've had to do to be mindful of not, you know, being in that in that space and to also be mindful of not um, reacting in what I know. So when you say like heal, so for example, when you are physically abused as a child, a lot of times what we see, and we've seen this, we've all been in a store before, we've seen one of our cousins who's screaming and yelling at their kid, maybe mm-hmm. even hits the kid in a way where you're like, oh my God. And what what I what I would encourage people to think about first before the judgment is compassion, because these are women who are typically hurting deeply and that they are acting on what they've experienced. So there are a lot of things that I had to address through my healing process. Like, for example, with her being affectionate, I never really received a lot of affection as a child. Right. So for me, that that has been different in terms of how I've had to work through that and how I've had to also force myself to embrace something that's different, to embrace something that's new, to work through things and go into therapy consistently. So that recovery has looked like me addressing a lot of unhealed trauma. And, and this is something that I think that all mothers and, and just people, I mean, people in general should do. But as a mom, there are also some traumas and things that you need to unpack and address as well, because it does play a part in who you are as a mother going forward. From the standpoint of having those thoughts and, and, and harming her, those are thoughts that, um, that did slowly start to go away, slowly start to decline. I would be a lie to say that to this day that there aren't moments where I'm just like, God, man, I wish, like, it's, I'm so tired of being a mom. Mm-hmm. But that that's a sense of normalcy. Yeah. As parents, we have those moments, you know, because we're dealing with another human yeah. with their own personality. So it, it is normal to have those moments where you just feel frustrated, yeah. where you feel angry, where you feel disappointed, you know. But as far as the, the point of, you know, I hate when she touches me. I want to just, you know, harm her. You know, these are things where it's like, you know, I, I don't have those moments anymore. And I have had to, you know, I had to consciously, as you mentioned that wherewithal, I've had to consciously work through that. I did finally start to embrace going to therapy on a regular basis. And so these were things where it's like recovery requires work. Yeah. So just like a drug addict, it, it's it's the, it's the same thing. It requires a conscious effort to work through that and get the help that you need when you've gone through that type of situation. Because even then, you know, you might still experience a form of PTSD. Yeah. You might still experience a form of anxiety. So this is something that you absolutely have to address in terms of your recovery. Yeah. So r- right now there's there's a, a new mom who's feeling what you felt or she's feeling something different that doesn't feel exactly right to her. Something that she's ashamed to say out loud, right? She's fearful to say this out loud or, or admit this or there's a, a spouse or a husband or partner or a friend or, or a mom or a father. There's someone in close proximity to, to a, a, another woman and they're looking at her and they're saying, something's not right. They're saying, I think she's in trouble. They're, they're saying, the behavior that I'm seeing is concerning to me. What, what is your advice for each of those people and how they can address it, overcome it, bring it to light, begin to deal with it? How do they work past that, that taboo feeling that 
associates with this so often. If they're a new mom and they're having that feeling or they're just, you know, maybe they're just on the on the beginning onset. They just they just feel down. Right. And and they may not be at, the, at a deeply postpartum depression stage. Maybe they're just having the baby blues, but they're but it doesn't seem to be getting better. They're maybe going towards that stage. I mean, the first thing I'm going to say is that you have got to talk about it. You have got to say something. You have got to figure out who is that one person. If you don't want to tell the doctor, if you don't want to, you know, tell your spouse who is somebody that you can share the experience that you're going through with because you have got to be able to express what is happening. You have, yeah. you, you, you just, you have to, you have to, and not feel shame, not feel guilt, not feel like, you know, it's making you a bad person or a bad mom, but you have to be able to, to talk about it. And hopefully if you have enough courage to, to actually share with the doctor or find a therapist and share with the therapist. Don't be afraid and think that when you share these thoughts, they're instantaneously, well, I'm gonna, I'm gonna call CPS. I'm mm-hmm. gonna call, you know, that's not true. That's not how it works. And and so, but they can't help you unless you share what the experience is that you're going through. Uh, and that's the that's the that's the first thing that I'm gonna say. And and then also, you know, if you're a working mom. Get familiar with what your FMLA policies are. Get familiar with what you have at work that can actually help you. You know, before you're having a kid, maybe look into the short-term or long-term disability mm. if you have a, a, a actual um, a general nine-to-five type of job. Become familiar with that because that was one thing that I wasn't familiar with. And so when it came time for me needing time off and things like that, that became an issue for me at work mm. because I wasn't aware of what my what I really with my rights in terms of what I could do in dealing with with the health issue that I was dealing with. Probably another so, stressor that you didn't need on top of everything else. Absolutely. When when she started to have different health issues and stuff like that, and I had to take off, and I ended up losing my job because of that. Mm. And so they they dismissed me for time and attendance. So, you know, there's just there's so many things that happen with birth, and we have to just be aware of what our needs are, and and just ha- building that support system, but really just having the conversation. Yeah. I mean, it seems so simple, but it's something that is not happening. Yeah. We are not having the conversation. Yeah. So one of the things that that we've talked about so far is the fact that you're not just a survivor of this. You, you took something from this, and now you're building a bridge to help other women and other families, right? In in fearless influence and in postpartum, I'm sorry, in partum evolution, you're doing the work, right? Mm-hmm. Talk to us about each of those organizations and the role they play in addressing these illnesses. So for Fearless Influence, it's more of my personal brand. It's something that I started to really help moms who feel unseen, who feel unheard, who feel undervalued, and really just providing a platform to educate and uplift moms to live more courageous, to live more authentic, and to provide motivational content. I provide various courses. I provide different coaching, if that's something that you're interested in. Mm-hmm. That's something that, you know, is really based upon from a, it's a digital mental wellness brand. It's so you can go online and you can read my blogs. You can, you know, schedule a variety of different things that you might be interested in. You can read my ebook that, you know, that's a place where it's just solely about how to be well, how to work through any type of, you know, feelings that you might be having in general. Uh, and so part of evolution is 
my nonprofit. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so this was designed to specifically help moms of color. This is an organization to specifically help moms of color who are experiencing a perinatal mood disorder. Uh, And so what what this organization does is that it provides the knowledge and information that I didn't have. I didn't, I didn't, like I said, I didn't even know what postpartum depression was at that time. And I didn't have any moms of color who I had ever seen, had ever heard talk about an experience like, like the one that I had, let alone just even talking about being depressed as a mom or not wanting their child, just any type of emotions like that. And so the, the mission of Partum Evolution is to increase the awareness, the treatment, and the prevention of postpartum mood disorders. And so I try to provide a safe space in a community to have the type of conversations and to just really help moms thrive after having this experience. And so there's a lot of programming that we've been working on and fleshing out so that we can start doing. And, and my vision is to globally see this have an impact, not just in, in my local area where I'm at, but really to help moms of color across the country and provide this resource. I also have a free audio course um, that you can download if you go to the website where it's it's you, it talks about from the very beginning to the end of managing postpartum depression. And then I've, I also uh, am working on finalizing a documentary where I went around the country filming women and their stories mm. so that you can visually see some of these experiences through other women that look like you. Uh, and so that is what that organization does. Mm. I can't wait to get my hands on the documentary. I, I mean, as you can tell, this this topic in itself is just a place of passion for me because I've watched people suffer. And, mm-hmm. you know, some of the suffering is honestly needless because we we operating from a place of ignorance or uninformed and, and it can be prevented to a point with education and, and with support and with networks and with organizations like like you've pulled together. So in addition to to your organizations, in addition to NAMI, which is the National Alliance on Mental Illness, I believe. Isn't that what I think that's what NAMI stands for? Yes. Um, what are the other resources that can be at a new mom or, or a partner's fingertips to help them manage through what they're going through? When something happens to your kitchen, you might say, This is ludicrous. But that won't fix your home. That will only get you the rapper, Ludicrous. Having trouble? Don't panic. Don't be alarmed. You need to file a claim? Holla at State Farm. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. That's right. You can file a claim on the app or call us. Thanks, Mr. Chris. No matter how ludicrous the situation, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm, Bloomington, Illinois. Yeah, you have organizations, which I'll actually be speaking on at their conference uh, later this year, Black Mamas Matter Alliance. Um, You have, like, if you're looking for a support group or just other moms who might look like you, if you're a mom of color, you have Mocha Moms. Um, you can even you can even use now, you know, with the internet at our fingertips, um, websites like Meetup, where you can put mm. in mom groups and find different mom groups in your actual area. Uh, you have Postpartum Support International, which um, they've done a much better job in terms of trying to connect. Uh, two moms of color, but initially this was an organization that was historically um, for white women. Uh, but they, but they have recently, within the past, I'd say two years, they maybe three, they built an alliance uh, for moms of color. And so you can go to their website and you can see and get those resources through them. I mean, even though they're not specifically for moms of color, they offer a variety, of, a wealth of, of information in terms of postpartum depression mm-hmm. and different uh, volunteer uh, things that you can do. Um, different numbers that a number that you can actually call to for where they'll help you in terms of um, 
uh, getting you to a treatment or to a doctor or something like that. And so that's a, a major organization um, that has has been around for some time and does definitely offer uh, a lot of resources to help you as well. So that's just to 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 name a few for sure that you could turn to. Cool. We're, we're coming to the end of our time. I want to ask a couple more questions. I'm going to ask three at one time. They're all somewhat related, <laughs> right? And, okay. And I can only assume that our listeners are wondering some of this. So one, where are you at on your healing journey? Mm-hmm. Two, how's the relationship between you and your daughter today? And three, where does your husband fit into all this? And how does he manage through any of the effects that still linger as you all both continue to heal? So I am on a constant healing journey. Mm. I think healing is never ending. I think that the moment where you think that you have completely healed, something may trigger you and you mm. and you think that you, you know, I thought I was done with that. Well, you know, that's not how the body often responds. I mean, we definitely hold on to different things that have happened to us in our life. And so, you know, to this day, I make a conscious effort in terms of therapy, in terms of affirmation, in terms of what I read, in terms of what I even watch. I mean, the things that I just soak into my mind, I'm very conscious of mm. because I I want to be well, but more than anything, I want to have a power over my mind to, you know, receive and believe positive thoughts. And it's it's not to sound like, you know, hippie or anything like that, but I really, really believe in the power of being able to reprogram and retrain the way that we think and the way that we do things. And so this is something that every day that I, I genuinely, I, I try to work on you know, on a constant basis. Uh, in terms of where me and my daughter are, she, um, man, uh, she, <laughs> we're at a a place where my daughter has literally brought out a level of patience and empathy that I did not know existed within me. Um, it Kids has can do that me. one, boy. Woo. Yeah, <laughs> it, it has stretched me in ways um, that I didn't know was possible that I didn't even think that I could do. Um, but she teaches me. Mm. And every day I try to allow myself to learn from, from her and from what she thinks and from what she feels. Uh, and, and so our relationship is, is much, it's, it's, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that it's bad. You know, I think that it's a pretty good relationship. Um, I love my daughter unconditionally, even through, you know, her little, smart mouth stages and stuff. <laughs> uh, but, you know, no, she she definitely um, is a beacon of light. And I really, you know, pray and hope that she, you know, never lets anybody flush out that light of hers. I'd love to hear that. Last question. We've talked about a bunch of stuff today, right? Mm-hmm. Very personal stuff and some very needed conversation about a topic that isn't addressed nearly as much as it mm-hmm. should be. It's not addressed. It's, it's, it's not shown to us the way it should be. And, and when it is shown, it's shown in a significantly negative connotation. Mm-hmm. So of all the things that we've talked about and, and recognizing fully that this is your space, this is your experience, and this is the world that you have created for yourself to be able to support other families, women, individuals going through this, what did we not talk about today? What's been inside your soul burning its way out that you need to make sure that before we close these mics today, the world gets a chance to hear? Man, um, I'd probably say just maybe two things. I definitely, you know, I want to throw out a, a resource in terms of a number that, you know, 
moms can call. Um, so you can actually call 1-800-944-4PPD, um, where you can actually speak to a volunteer who will help provide resources and support. So if you don't want to talk to anybody in terms of close to you, that's a number that you can call. Give them that number one, one of, more time. It's 1-800-944-4PPD. And this is where you can actually call to speak to a volunteer who can help provide resources and support if you don't want to speak to someone who's close uh, in your family. Uh, and I definitely, one of the things that I also want to, to say, well, maybe two more things, is I want moms to know that you are enough, that you are capable despite any circumstance. And that's oftentimes something that we, we question our level of capability. And I think that we need to believe that we are capable, we are enough. And some things that I want people to be more passionate about and know is, is a few things from a legislation standpoint and how that how we can start having postpartum depression, especially in communities of color, be a louder voice is understanding that there are things such as the Mother's Act that was passed in 2010. And what it did was it established legislation to combat postpartum depression with research. Um, but what happened was, is that Congress hardly appropriated any funding. Mm. And so what it did was it made it very state-based if the state decided to give any type of funding for anything like that. Um, we've had other acts that were supposed to help bring postpartum depression um, to the forefront. And what happened was that it was just referred to the Subcommittee on Health. And so there really needs to be a push um, an advocacy about maternal health more from, from these perinatal mood disorders. Um, we know that we're having discrimination. We know that there's a lack of access and equity, but there's also a very serious, you know, hidden darkness about these perinatal mood disorders that we're not discussing. And as you mentioned in the beginning of the show, women who are losing their life, women who are doing things to their children. Um, and then, you know, we just need to make sure that we increase the assessment of our community of, of for Black women and have, you know, competent, fully competent and cultural competent providers who will who will help, you know, Black women who are experiencing this and, and just um, and shift that strong Black woman syndrome. Like, you ain't, you, you, you don't have to do it all. Yeah. Like, you you don't have to. Um, and so that that's something that, that I would say is just, you know, push for more advocacy in these areas and policies and education so that we're aware um, that this exists and that it's going on. And there are a lot more women who are suffering from it than you may, uh, than you may think. Yeah. Wow. Ms. Sasha Nicole, I appreciate you coming to Wild Black to share your story and these resources. Hands down, this is probably one of the most important topics we've touched on. I am so appreciative of your time. Um, I would love, in closing, if you would tell our listeners how they can engage with you, how they can learn more about you, and where they can go to get the help that they may need in this moment. So for Partum Evolution, again, the nonprofit that specifically helps moms of color dealing with any type of perinatal mood disorder, you can go to partumevolution.org. Um, also, if you're interested in terms of just in general, maybe you're not experiencing uh, any of that, but you just want to have some motivational content, upliftment, but you care, you're passionate about mental health, you can follow uh, me on Instagram if that's your thing, social media at The Real Sasha Nicole. Uh, and then also my um, my digital mental wellness, where you can read more blogs and, and do coaching and courses. And that's fearlessinfluence.com. And influence is spelled without the I. So fearlessinfluence.com. Awesome. Sasha, I could not be happier that you came and joined us. This is needed information. Listeners, I hope you listened. I hope you paid attention. And like I said at the beginning, if you don't know anyone who is suffering, through this, 
Maybe you're not looking hard enough. Maybe they're not comfortable enough to talk to you. But one thing I can guarantee you is someone around you is suffering or has suffered. And if that is not true, someone around you will suffer. So be prepared, be informed. Realize that person could very well be you. And it's a hard road to walk, especially when you walk it alone. So get some help, get some education, be a light to someone who is standing in darkness. With that, Wild Black, peace. We out. We love you. Everybody loves McDonald's fries. So, yes, you accused your mom of stealing some of your fries on the way home. Um, but the bag did feel a little light. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. -ba -ba. 